Grab your pencils and your books, but feel free to leave the mask at home as the 2022-2023 school year kicks off on Staten Island with limited coronavirus protocols, multiple new schools, and a new curriculum in the works. Welcome to the Staten Island Advances from the Scene, a podcast bringing you an inside look at the biggest stories on Staten Island with the reporters who cover them. I'm your host, Eric Bascom, and this week I'm joined by Staten Island Advance education reporter Annalise Knudsen to discuss the Advances back to school coverage and what students and parents can expect during the upcoming school year. Thanks for joining me today, Annalise. I hope you enjoyed your summer since things tend to really pick up for you once the new school year starts. Yeah, I mean, I I did enjoy my summer until, you know, the few weeks of back-to-school coverage lead-up, which is always stressful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and we're going to get into that. But, you know, as the education reporter, I think some people probably assume that the summer is kind of that slow, relaxing time for you, but as we both know, that's never really the case here. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about some of the other types of education stories that you tend to focus on during the summer, even though traditional school isn't in session? This summer, in in particular, I focused a lot on the Summer Rising program. I actually visited a school during that time because Summer Rising is such a new program that was introduced during COVID and has kind of taken on its own role as not really summer school in the traditional sense that we think about, where kids have to go because they, they weren't doing well during the school year, but more in, you know, inviting those opportunities for experiences like field trips, enrichment activities, just getting kids ready for the new school year. So I know that was a big focus during the school year, but also school's not in session, so there's really not a lot of news going on. So I did try to focus on finding those interesting kids in the neighborhood or the community and writing stories about them and what they do during their free time during the summer. Yeah, absolutely. And some of those feature stories are really cool. I know we had talked a little bit about the one in particular of our young golf prodigy we have here on Staten Island, right? Um, has that one run? Have we, we put that yeah, out yet? Can you tell us a little bit about that one? I wrote a story about this young kid who was, I think, four or five at the time, right before COVID happened, so like February 2020. And one of his videos of him hitting a golf ball went viral, and we did a story. It was a Sunday story. It was, you know, it was just a cute story talking to the to the parent. And the dad reached out to me again and said, hey, you did this story on us a few years ago. He's going to be in this world championship wow. in, in the first week of August in North Carolina. And the whole family was traveling down there. His um, golfing instructor was traveling with them. And he was going to be competing against kids in his age range in golf. Like, that's how good he was because you have to... To to qualify, you have to obviously play a few games. You have to um, win some of those, you know, regional yeah, like a regional tournament, the local local tournaments, and he made it. And he was incredible watching him, and he was just so humble. He just loves the game. And he doesn't get nervous. The dad said, I get more nervous than he does. (laughs) That's the case a lot of times. You know, he's seven. So this is just fun for him. And I think it's just a, a was a really cool opportunity to meet him and see him playing the game and just really loving something at such a young age. And I think it's so cool that we're able to kind of highlight the youth of Staten Island, right? Not always in school, but also in their extracurriculars and things like this. So I just thought that that was a really cool story that I wanted to touch on real quick. But let's talk about leading up to the start of the new school year. You mentioned it already, but typically in August, we get tasked with all of this kind of lead up coverage, as we said, of what 
parents should expect, what students will see, what new schools are there. So I'm, I'm just curious, kind of, how do you decide which types of topics to focus in on each year as we're, as we're kind of getting back? And, and why do you think that kind of uh, coverage is so important? This is not something that I just handle myself. I have a lot of help from the editors, and we have a lot of meetings leading up to preparing for back to school. And a lot of it has to do with looking at what we've done in the past. So this year was a bit different because we're not really going into a school year with those COVID restrictions like we have the last two years. Right. So kind of like a blend of looking back to like 2019 that I had to go back and say, what did we do before? The <laughs> when the world was normal, yeah. Yeah, right before coronavirus hit because everything changed back to school, preparing for that coverage was so different the last two years. So just a blend of are there going to be coronavirus restrictions and taking that angle, but also what have we done that is like the traditional normal school year of, you know, the new schools that are coming or what parents can expect, like you said, or what students can expect. And just getting that, you know, that back to school, like we're excited, send us your photos, things like that. Yeah, and you know, as you mentioned, this really is kind of a team effort. This is something that obviously you are the lead on often because you are our education reporter, but we have editors, we have other reporters. I tend to help out with this as well because we're on the same community news team. We pull in a photographer too, typically. So it really is kind of a group effort to get all this done. And so I, I want to talk about now kind of the first day of school, which as we know is always a, a big deal for us at the Advance. It's been something that we've been covering, I know, a for probably about five years now, right? So can you tell our listeners kind of typically how we cover the first day of school and what that looks like for you? What I do is usually making a list of schools and it depends, obviously, the first day, you know, we had a different first day for Catholic schools, so that had its own separate list. And then we had a list for public schools and we try to get like a wide range across the borough. Mm -hmm. So we'll pick like maybe one North Shore school, one South Shore school. This year we had a new school building that opened, which is over in Stapleton on Targi and Waverly in that area. Mm -hmm. There's actually two schools in there and then a District 75 site. That's where I went, that's where I ended up, and we figured that would be the best spot because it is a new school, mm -hmm. you know, seeing the environment, seeing the new school building, seeing the, um, the staff that's having their first year as well. And I know when we were discussing you going out for the first day, since you're the transportation reporter, yeah. you're going out to see, you went out to Hungerford, the new building the new at building Petrides, on Petrides, yeah, to see the traffic there. So, you know, looking and examining what has changed within the last few years, if there's a new school building, we'll tend to go there. For Catholic schools, we, we reached out to the archdiocese, they gave us a recommendation, and then we kind of said, where can we spread out so we have multiple people in, in multiple places to get the good variety of the photos that we like to see from the first day? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, as you noted, I am often, as the transportation reporter, tasked with doing the back-to-school traffic thing, which, as everyone knows, traffic is bad enough on Staten Island as it is. But once the school year starts and you've got all the teachers going to school, you've got all the school buses with the students all over the streets, you have so many more just vehicles on the road than you might have during the summer months that it gets a little crazy. You know the Petrides thing has been an issue for years that we've been reporting on, really since they started construction on that new school building because it 
it limited the amount of parking spaces and the lot and you know there's more vehicles going to that complex there's really only one entrance where all these cars are kind of fighting to get in and out so yeah I think the the first day of school stuff it really is a team effort between you know sometimes you visiting new schools we have photographers at schools in different parts of the borough we have me in a place where there might be more traffic or we might uh, you know in the past we've done some Facebook lives when we were uh, you know leaning on a little more heavily on those so it, it really depends on what's going on but um, it is always you know a big thing for us and I think that the people tend to enjoy it you know we also have people send in some photos we ask them first day of school photos add that have your kid featured in the paper which is something a lot of people enjoy as well so but you know let's let's move on now that we've covered some of the first day stuff uh, I want to talk a little bit about what the students and parents should be aware of for this coming year so one thing that I think a lot of people are curious about is you know what's left of the city's school coronavirus protocols because most of them are gone you don't need to wear the masks anymore but there are still some other things in place so can you walk us through some of that and and kind of the concerns that we've been hearing from people in the community regarding these last few protocols the city has basically removed most of the the covid school protocols and i think the only thing that's kind of remaining is the fact that they're still getting those at home rapid tests mm -hmm. so if they've been exposed to someone or if they're experiencing symptoms they would follow the same protocol that they put in place last year you take you have two tests you take them depending on whether you have symptoms or exposed you would take both of them within a certain time frame and you know we're just continuing life as the as the new normal at this point the other aspect of the COVID protocols is that the vaccine, there's still a vaccine mandate in place. And when I say that, I don't mean kids are required to get a vaccine to go to school, mm -hmm. but they're required to get one to participate in those high risk extracurriculars. So they said, um, you know, like chorus or band because of, you know, the instruments or the trumpets, things like that. And then the sports, PSAL mm -hmm. sports, which I know is still really a hot topic for, for a lot of people because, you know, these kids haven't been in a, in a regular school environment for the last couple of years. Maybe last year was the most normal at, at that point. But, you know, a lot of kids really rely on extracurriculars and rely on sports, and that's a big part of their school experience. So I know a lot of people are still upset about that the vaccine mandate's still in place for visitors as well. That was one I was going to touch so on as well. I, the, I that includes that the too. parents. Yeah, yeah. I had just actually spoken to someone who was talking about the fact that, you know, because of the vaccine mandate, they're not able to, you know, go into the building for a parent-teacher conference or something like that. They're saying, you know, oh, we can schedule something over Zoom, but, like, for certain parents in certain situations, not being able to even enter your child's school building, I know, is a, a cause for concern, for sure. Yeah, and I've heard a lot of, you know, you think about if your kid is in, you know, a special event at mm -hmm. school and you can't go to it because you're not vaccinated. Yeah, they're in like the Christmas show or the spring play or well, something are like they? that. Oh. Because that might be Oh well that's a true. Maybe mandate. then if the student so, doesn't have it yeah, right. well maybe there's cases where the students are vaccinated but then the parents, the parents aren't. Are. Maybe the students get like the parents allow the students to get vaccinated to participate in those sorts of things, but they still don't feel like they need it necessarily. So yeah, it's made things very messy for the, the student parent events. We'll be right back. The Mayor of Maple Avenue is a powerful multi-part podcast about Sean Sinisey, a victim of former Penn State football coach Jerry Sandusky, who was arrested 10 years ago for numerous child sexual abuse charges. 
The podcast series is written and hosted by Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter Sarah Ganim, who takes listeners into the world of addiction rehabilitation, where society can be quick to celebrate the consequences for abusers while not addressing the needs of their victims. Subscribe now to the Mayor of Maple Avenue wherever you get your podcasts. Let's move on. Another big thing this year um, is that the new universal mosaic curriculum that the city has been working on. So uh, what can you tell us kind of about this curriculum, how it differs from the one that public schools have used in recent years and, and what kind of reaction it's been getting so far? So this is something that the city is, is still working towards and has, hasn't really put in place yet. It's supposed to be coming in 2023. Again, that was under the previous administration that announced that. So Mm -hmm. we haven't really gotten an update as to when that would be put in place anymore. I'm assuming they're still working towards it because they've made steps towards it. A big part of that is the literacy aspect, which they put in place for, you know, first and second graders to do those literacy screeners to, to see if they have a learning disability, for example, like dyslexia, and then working towards that. And a big part of the curriculum is also having the voices of the community. We kind of talked about this before, but thinking about the different, the history of the boroughs or of New York City in general, really honing in on the the local history here. Right. So, you know, obviously there's curriculum that is very broad and you know, it can be for any school in the, in the country, but I know that there's something here that they really want to hone in on the, on the local aspect. And we've been really trying to push the, the city to say, are you going to include the Sandy Ground history? Yeah, you know, that's absolutely. something really important here on, on the borough and something that would be really good for field trips for students. And we haven't heard anything yet on, on that aspect, but I know it's, um, you know, we put it out there, so it's really on the city to say, okay, yeah, we want to make this, um, you know, really a part of the curriculum. Because what they've told us in the past is, yeah, it's part of it. Like, it's touched on. They learn about it. Yeah. But, you know, especially here on Staten Island, you know, it's such a big part of our history here. It feels like something that could easily be a focal point, especially, as you say, with the, the Universal Mosaic curriculum kind of striving to uh, incorporate um, communities in, uh, that may have been underrepresented in the past. So uh, you talk about the African-American community on Staten Island and the historical significance of Sandy Ground. It just seems like a no-brainer, mm-hmm. really. So uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get some more news on that soon. But let's move on to another thing I wanted to touch on, which I feel like every time I hear something about it, there's some controversy, there's some people complaining about the way that the city is running it or not running it or whatever it is. And so that's the gifted and talented program. So first, can you just give us some general information about the program and how it works and then talk about some of the changes that have been made this year and how that could impact Staten Islanders? Yeah, the the gifted and talented was actually expanded this year, that was the announcement this year. And that's kind of going completely the opposite direction of former Mayor Bill de Blasio, right. who wanted to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Or he said, oh, every student has the right to um, you know, that quality, high-level education. We want to make sure every kid has that, so we're going to get rid of it or phase it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and what a part of the expansion as well was completely removing the uh, entry-level test. So every kid that was going into kindergarten was expected to take this timed exam 
Like imagine a little four-year-old. That feels stressful, yeah. Five-year-old taking this exam to see if they're smart enough to get into this gifted and talented. Yeah, program. a little bit of undue pressure there. <laughs> right. So what they've changed is um, if the student goes to a DOE pre-K program, they can get recommended by their teacher and kind of do, they go that route. And if your child is not in the DOE program, you can um, have it recommended. You can have someone from the DOE would come and visit your child while they were in the program or do interviews, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then kind of base the decision. And then it goes into like a lottery based program. Yeah, that's interesting because although I, I do kind of agree with you in that like testing these four-year-olds to see if they can get into this gifted and talented program feels a little uh, a little weird, right? But then at the same time, the new system almost feels a bit subjective and arbitrary. So uh, yeah. it's not really, you know, some people would say, well, the test score is the test score. If this is what they got and they're smarter than everyone else, then they should be the one that gets in. But then, as we say, that's a lot of pressure to be putting on these kids and telling them you're not smart enough when they're yeah. four years old for this and program. And not everyone tests well. Right. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so, uh, I mean, it's it's never going to be perfect, but mm -hmm. it does sound like um, at least we are kind of taking some and of I the mean, stress. And I mean, it was expanded, so there are more seats. Yeah. And the way that I understood it was it would continue to be expanded every year. Mm -hmm. Obviously, as the kids get into more grades, more kids in would, would get enter into the program. Right. So I think the whole point was we're going to expand the... I guess the qualification, but also expand the amount of programs and seats that we're offering. Moving on to, you know, a bit of a more somber topic here. So discussions about improving school safety have been kind of front and center these past few months, uh, ever since the tragic shooting that we saw in Texas in May. And so uh, what are some of the things that the city is doing and, and things that they're considering to, to try and better protect our students? Every single time there's something that happens in a school, the entire country starts to ask that question. How can we improve school safety, uh, make sure our kids and our staff are safe? And it's something that I feel that this administration is looking at a little more closely than we've seen in the past. After the, the awful shooting in Texas, uh, Mayor uh, Eric Adams said, well, we're gonna look at all these different measures we can take looking at buzzer entry systems, they're starting a pilot program with that because right now every single door to a school is locked except for the front door and it would require right. someone to get up and, and lock it and unlock it if they didn't have this new system in place. Right. Which is a lot because then you're not really focused on who's really coming in because you're just constantly getting up. Mm -hmm. But I know what the city has just announced when the new school year started is that they're taking steps, not necessarily in a buzzer entry system way, but saying we're going to provide like the notifications if there's an emergency at the school so parents have an idea of what's going on. A lot of the times in the past, and we've had instances on the borough where there's been a the, lockdown. Like the Wagner High School exactly. thing a few years ago, right? And where then, parents weren't getting the information. Yeah, and then right? they're gathering outside the right. school. They're Panicked. trying to call their kids. Panicked. You've got uh, former Councilman Matteo kind of acting mm -hmm. as like a liaison right, uh, going back and forth in the, the school. Time. Yeah, it was really chaotic. So, so I know that they're definitely that that's a step forward because it allows the principals to provide timely information to parents because mm -hmm. obviously you're going to panic if something's happening right. at, your, at your kid's school. So I think that will help a little bit. Um, we talked about the prototype that would allow them to lock or unlock the school doors. Mm -hmm. um, they're adding more school safety agents who are staying with the NYPD because again, under the previous administration, yeah. there was talks of 
mm-hmm. transitioning them to the DOE. That has since been taken back. They're, they're staying with the MIPD. They're adding more. So I think this is just all kind of a conscious effort to make strides towards incru- improving safety. But what we hear a lot of the time is, is, especially with weapons in schools and with you know the scanners and, and finding those things, a lot of kids bring weapons because they're scared of something happening. Right. And that doesn't even necessarily mean in the school building, but you know, the traveling to school or traveling home from school. Mm-hmm. So there's just, it's so, such a complex puzzle of trying to figure out how can we improve school safety? How can we keep kids safe? How can we make sure that kids don't feel the need to bring weapons to school? Like how do we keep the, the travel to school safe? Like there's just so many pieces of it that you know, it's hard to say one thing will help because we don't know. We don't yeah. know. No, exactly. But at least, as you said earlier, it does feel like the city is making more of a conscious effort now to, to really kind of uh, lock in on this and, and figure out ways to to improve it. So let's switch back to some, some happier news. We touched on this a little bit earlier, but uh, Staten Island saw multiple new schools open their doors for the first time last week. And so can you briefly walk us through like a couple of the new schools? I know some of them are uh, a little different themed schools. I know I visited one uh, where the chancellor was visiting last week, but uh, can you tell us a little about those? Yeah, so there were, um, there's a new school that, at the Evelyn King campus in Stapleton, which is where you were. Right. Um, there's two schools in there. It's the Waverly Academy for Empowered Learners and then the Young Women's Leadership School. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure you wrote a story about the Young Women's Leadership School, too, which is funny. Yeah, I so. actually didn't even realize when I was going there to do the chancellor's visit. Typically, if I'm going to an assignment for education, I'm like, oh, let me see what Annalise has written on mm-hmm. this, so at least I have like a background knowledge. I looked up the article, and then I'm reading it, and I was like, oh, this sounds familiar. And I went to the byline, and I was like, oh, I wrote this article. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you kind of have a bit of more intel on the the school than I did. Like, I went there for the first day, but you went inside recently. Right, yeah, and it was beautiful. I mean, one, the school building was amazing in, like, tip-top shape. The new library, new computer lab was, like, gorgeous. I wish we had those kinds of things when we were back in PS30 back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was also just really impressed with the with the school staff and the students there and, and even the chancellor and just kind of the effort that he's made uh, on Staten Island. And, and also just, you know, the school is, it's a it's a single gender school it's for female and female identifying uh students it's similar to if our listeners are aware of eagle academy which is for for boys but kind of the same concept here where it's single gender but it is a public school they're focused really not only on academics but leadership and civic engagement and that type of stuff and and the visit was just just really great i i really enjoyed my time uh speaking with the chancellor he also used to be a principal at an eagle academy school in the bronx so he could kind of speak to the experience and the benefits of that kind of stuff. So uh, it was really exciting. It was something that, um, you know, this is something the chancellor touched on, just not every student wants the same type of school experience. Not everyone thrives in the same conditions. Some people want a big school where there's, you know, 3,000 students, other people feel more comfortable when it's a small school and maybe there's a couple hundred and everybody knows each other and you're getting more one-on-one attention or maybe someone wants a themed school with a specific thing that they're interested in. So I think that the more you know types of offerings that we have here on Staten Island, the better and, and I was really impressed with my time there. Yeah, I'm really excited to eventually go visit there mm-hmm. because that will happen, happen eventually where I go visit all of these new schools. Um, so that also includes the new Hungerford School 
school building. Right. I mean, Hungerford has existed in on Tompkins for a very long time. And they finally got a new building at Petrides where you were on the first day. Um, so again, we're gonna eventually visit there to see the um, the brand new like accessibility and the and the classrooms and it's it's probably going to be incredible if I can imagine. Yeah, no, that that's a good point, especially given that Hungerford is a school for students with special needs. The accessibility and the new technology in that building is probably something to marvel at as mm-hmm. well. So uh, I'll be interested to see when you do get to go visit there. Um, so you know, before we go, I assume that the start of the new school year means you'll be ramping back up on your in-class column, right? And so, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your column and what types of stories you tend to focus on and and how people can reach out if they have any suggestions yeah any opportunity to plug my column exactly. is my favorite thing every time i visit somewhere and i see someone i'm saying here's my card email me things for my right. column because you know sometimes you we think about we're such a localized newspaper and we sometimes don't have the people to go out to every single thing that a school holds and I always encourage people to say, even if we can't come, like just take some photos, send us um, some information from the day if you want to send quotes or, or anything really that's going on in your school. And it gets put into um, this weekly column, which hopefully will start back up soon. Kind of just rounding up things going on around the borough. And I always I always plug it because you know, we are such a local newspaper and a lot of places don't do what we're doing. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's just nice to hear what's going on in a school, even if we're not going out there to cover it. Yeah, I think that's a great point, because as you said, we we only have so many reporters and there are so many schools on Staten Island. I don't know the exact number, but it's dozens Over and dozens. Over 77, maybe? Wow, yeah. We yes. have new schools, so now I don't know what the new number yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, we're, but we're, you know, getting close to 75 to 100 schools, so we can't be at all of them, but they're all doing so much great work with their students. So to be able to feature those on our website and in our uh, newspaper, I think is really great. And so if anyone does have any suggestions, anything going on in your students, classrooms definitely reach out to Annalise on that and you know I want to thank you so much for joining me today and I look forward to having you back on again soon yeah thanks for having me thank you for listening to the Staten Island advances from the scene if you like what you've heard please make sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit silive.com for the latest on all these stories and more thank you for supporting local journalism